welcome to Artistic Accomplices, the podcast that's all about art, creativity, and learning. We all could use a little creative nudge every now and then that will prod us, encourage us, and give us a shot of inspiration. Artistic Accomplices is the podcast that gives you small doses of motivation and creative encouragement as you make, create, play, and live. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and I am going to share my thoughts on art, creativity, and learning, and occasionally I will interview artists, writers, educators, and much, much more. Just like the gym buddy that motivates you to hit the gym on a regular basis, Artistic Accomplices is that little voice in your ear telling you to hit the studio or to pull out the paints or to pick up the pen. So let's dive into today's episode. So on today's episode, I am joined by good friend and fellow artistic accomplice, Samuel Peck. So thanks for being on the show with me, Sam. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It, uh, I'm very excited to be here. Well, cool, cool. So Sam is in town, um, and I was able to sit down with him and record this episode. And just going to kind of ask Sam some questions see what he has to say about stuff and and see where it goes from there so um sam why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself i am a phd student currently at the university of minnesota um i come from minnesota via uh maryland where i did a year of teaching under michael bell um, at southern high school Uh, prior to that i taught in greensboro north carolina for uh, 14 years um I did K through 12 teaching primary and middle school, but I did elementary, middle, high school. I also did some college teaching um, at the same place that I received my MFA from at University of North Carolina at Greensboro, uh, primarily in printmaking and design. Um, and that's a, a short synopsis of uh, my little run through life. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, um, you're an artist. You have uh, your Master's of Fine Arts in printmaking, right? Yep. yep. So, Drawing and printmaking. What got you into art? I mean, was this something that you have always kind of been into? But what, what's been your artistic journey up to this point? Um, I, I've actually been thinking a lot about this. It's funny that you asked this question. Um, I remember, uh, you know, one of those sessions that you that we all have. I think when uh, you're sitting around with some friends and your, you know, your parents have sat you down and they're like, "You guys have fun coloring," you know. We often talk now, you know, you, me, and Dave, Eric. We often talk about, you know, color is not a verb. You know, we strongly say this, but I definitely remember being sat down with a bunch of crayons and have fun and coloring. And I remember reading Piers Anthony and being super excited about his books and trying to like make drawings, you know, illustrations, which I didn't know was an illustration of what I was reading about and how excited I was about these books. And I remember I made like a brown stick figure that I colored over in red as if he was, um, had the power to be a comet and was flying around, you know, um, as if comets are hot, not cold, like they really are. But, um, you know, this, like, uh, second or first grade me 
received adoration from my friends who I was sitting with, you know, it was the, um, two brothers, um, one of their, one of the older brother's friends, and then another friend from the neighborhood. And I, I can just remember like, oh my God, that's so cool. How did you do that? Oh, wow. You th- oh, that's such a great idea. Coming over other things. And, and just uh, that for me was like, I want to make more images that are exciting like this. And I, I want to have fun like this with others. And for me, it became a drive to make more interesting images that not only other people were interested in seeing, but also that I was interested in seeing. Um, I remember getting to the point where it was like, you know, what are you going to do in high school? Choose your career. And I'm thinking, you know, choose a career. You know, I'm about to finish high school. Why now? This seems like a little early to choose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But I was like, well, if I want to choose something that like both makes me happy and I see make other people happy, then I'm going to probably choose art. I'm going to try to find a job within that. And I remember taking um, one third of my whole high school career and just focusing in on art there where I learned photography and printmaking for the first time. It was super exciting for me. Um, and then uh, along with my swimming career, I, um, I was an avid swimmer in you know, middle school, high school, elementary school, um, and on through college. But going all the way into college, you know, I was like, oh, I want to keep doing this. I'm still excited by this. I'm still fired up about it. And it became a big driver for me in trying to balance my academic life and my um, scholastic activities also, sorry, my, um, not my scholastic activities, my, um, athletic activities with, you know, what I was doing inside the, inside the, the studio. Um, and for me, printmaking really just became this thing about like process and how to understand process and how to learn through process. Um, and I got a, fell into a deep love with, um, relief, um, lithography and um, all forms of printmaking that I could I could find out and learn about um, and it's become something that is like developed the way I think and see about other forms I don't do as much printmaking as I did then I'm, uh, I do a lot more drawing um, work in books uh, visual journals sketchbooks um, bookmaking um, and then also of course painting and drawing um, that's kind of where I've be- moved through we already touched on some of my stuff in the MFA program, so I won't delve into that too much. But I would say along with my early career, like going through school, teaching has informed my artistic practice as much as, you know, I feel like I've had some influence over others um, and the way they work. You know, having to learn about processes and also teach to others has taught me so much um, in learning from the students who have come through my classroom Um, But also being open to that, you know, being open inside a space where I can say, you know, be vulnerable enough as a teacher to say, I'm interested in what you're doing. Show me how to do that. Um, And that has then informed my practice as an artist and given me an opportunity to build off of off of their work and their ideas myself, especially as, you know, I find it super interesting. Um, And, and you know, I think I've gotten the most... uh, most artists walk through my life rather than like one-to-one conversations you know where you go off and you're like go see an artist work you know now I've got like hundreds of students coming into my classroom and so hundreds of little artists you know who are then influencing the way that I make so there's you think about those 14 years in Greensboro and the year in um, 
the year in in Maryland and, and now my two years at University of Minnesota, all of these people who have come through my class have all had a, a hand in like changing the way that I see and understand the world. So that's a cool way of looking at it. So kind of you're mentioning, you know, the, the impact that the students have had on you um, and being able to work with them. But was there anybody in your life, like, you know, you were talking about taking art in, in high school and such, was there anybody that you would consider like a mentor to you? Somebody who, uh, a teacher or an artist that uh, you knew that helped guide you or, or shape your, your artistic journey? Um, I would definitely say Mr. Kenny, my, uh, my high school art teacher. I've multiple times tried to reach out and find him. Um, I think he probably retired 10 years after I left. I know I came back after I finished my, my bachelor's degree and I saw him in the early 2000s, but since then I haven't been able to track him down and find him. Um, of course it's, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, 2001 was five years after I graduated in 1996 um, and trying to find him now I think I'd have a better chance of finding his kids <laughs> than finding him um, but uh, I, I still wish that I could have conversations with him and talk to him I think a lot of uh, mentoring came from my fellow art students at that time um, I would talk about Barbara Page the um, amazing printmaker at the University of Rhode Island who really um, opened my eyes to printmaking and process and was so gentle with this very angry and um, closed off young man and she really opened my eyes to like making uh, making work and thinking through my process and uh, being she gave me the opportunity to be a supervisor in the print lab so I got a key to the print studio and I was able to come in whenever I wanted course there was like cleanup and all that that had to happen but um it was just it was just awesome being able to give that freedom and um I think you know I did a lot of work back then that I I didn't know that everybody else didn't do that much work um you know like being a studio rat I just thought was the thing you did in art <laughs> school um but come to find out not everybody you know lives and breathes the the, um, the process that they dive into in, uh, in undergrad or even in grad school um, and that it was a very special time and I really appreciate all the confidence she gave me. Um, she's given me great recommendations for grad school and jobs and um, so I'm really appreciative of that. Um, John Maggio, when I was doing my master's, he was an amazing um, teacher and thinker. I would also speak to Lee Walton at UNCG, I would speak to like a lot. I, you know, like I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the faculty at UNCG. I, you know, I can't speak highly enough about that that program and everybody who's there. Uh, I haven't met anybody who hasn't said a kind word to me in passing, or via Instagram, or you know whatever. Um, and a, a lot of those people are still my artistic accomplices. I still stay in touch with people from undergrad and through grad school. Um, I, I would have to say definitely Barbara Page um, lit a fire underneath me to realize the work that I could do and, and that was a huge boon and benefit for me um, just because she opened this, the space needed for me in order to oh it's okay for me to make lots and lots of work yes please do so oh okay 
and you know and then just like doing it carrying out that practice that you know she's saying hey what do you think about this and yeah i'll do that okay um you know i i did um i worked with a a tamarind master printer under her and it just made me understand like how amazing printmaking can really be if you um really really put your nose to the grindstone and go hard um so i, w- I would say barbara page uh, Mr. Kenny, I don't even know what his first name was. Um, <laughs> I never, I don't think I ever learned it all through high school. But um, yeah, I, I wish I could get back in touch with him. He was an amazing, amazing guy as well. Oh, cool. I, when you're talking about working in undergrad at the uh, University of Rhode Island, about just working um, in one of my podcasts, that's one of the things that I talk about is, is that idea of getting into the, a studio or getting into a space and just making stuff and i think a lot of people have this this myth or this misunderstanding that like artists just it like the artworks just sort of falls out of them and that, yeah. that they, don't, they don't have to put that much effort into it so what would you say is the the role of, of that like you were talking about how you had the freedom to go in and and you did all this work not really understanding that other people didn't put that kind of work in so what um you know could you talk a little bit more about what that meant like of having that freedom and doing that work um it meant a lot for me one it meant that um i'm i really mastered the process there's a lot of times where i i was questioning a process and i was like do i really have to do this part of it do i really have to do that part of it so i would you know i would take little liberties here and there and not tell my professor about it and um, to see if I could like fudge apart here, fudge apart there. If I had to, you know, grind the stone down enough, you know, did I have to do this kind of pass? Did I have to add this chemical in a roll up? Did the acid drops have to be this amount? What happened if I doubled them? I did a lot of experimentation and I made a lot of messes and made a lot of mistakes because I didn't follow the process perfectly <laughs> and I had these. But because I gave myself the room to do these experiments and make these mistakes, um, but also to test the, 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 the process, like what happens if I do this, what happens if I do that, and to really think through it, I mastered it. I really picked it up. So um, all sorts of things like doing a 32 color litho- lithograph, I really got an understanding from it, um, from doing lots of uh, you know tests where I did like three color and four color lithos. Um, and I messed up my registration or I messed up, um, you know, the mixing of one color or I didn't, um, you know, I didn't etch the stone enough. So the image started to creep in and then I had to erase certain parts of the stone um, as I was inking it up or I made the ink too greasy and then it was like creeping in on the image. You know, these things that I was told, you have to keep it in balance. There's a chemical reason for this. There's a science behind this. You have to follow the science. And I was like, do I really, you know, thinking I was like some like hot shot and I could, I knew better. Um, and yes, you really did need to. But if I hadn't taken the time to push against it and test my like questions of what I told was like the rules, um, I wouldn't know that those rules are there for a certain reason. You get certain problems if you don't follow these strict guidelines. And other people have pushed against these already, pushed against these rules already, and they have come to the same problems that you've come to and 
um, recognize that you know these rules are there for a purpose um, and that you can rather than having to push yourself through this you can ask questions if I don't do this what will happen people already have those answers you don't need to discover everything for yourself <laughs> yeah but there's there's something to be said about learning it for yourself because I think sometimes we can blindly follow what other people say um, and we don't question things so I think oh, like true with that creative mindset that um, it, it, it helps us kind of open up uh, and kind of uh, figure some of that, that stuff out because you know because there are times when people have told us things and we thought oh we have to follow this blindly and then you do discover like no you don't actually or this works better for me um, and if you don't push back if you don't push back against that that uh, those rules you don't you can't discover that so I think it you know and I think some people just need to discover things for themselves so yeah. you know definitely it's not, I don't think that's a bad thing to to want to uh, push back or push out on some of that well, yeah and I, I think it's for me like hearing you talk about you know this as well for me I think it's also open up this idea of like what is artistic research like how do we do that um, and, I, and just like a scientist doesn't blindly necessarily accept every oh they came to this conclusion is that conclusion correct let me do the experiment that they did in order to you know make sure then test this theory that they have like okay I'm going to test this theory and the the experiment that happened that got that result do i get the same result right i think it along the same lines artists sometimes do blindly follow but it's it's good for us to sometimes you know work into and push back against the rules and figure things out for ourselves mm -hmm. when we don't know how do you how do you come up with ideas because i hear a lot from people that uh like especially people that claim that they're not creative um they'll say well i just can't think of anything so how do you come up with the ideas for the work that you do um for like for my last set of like prints that i did that were laser cuts um i was thinking about the process for um exquisite corpse and i was really thinking about you know the these faces that I do, these kind of cartoony, abstract um, faces. I don't know if cartoony is the right word. It seems like it's a, I'm talking badly about my work when I say that, but it's not meant as a derogatory statement um, because I don't, uh, I don't believe that a cartoon is a less than a painting or a less than a drawing. I think a lot of um, art is starting to move in this direction, but I just want to make sure I make that statement clear. Um, I'm speaking of it about it, a, a type of abstraction that's been going on for a while. So how do I talk about that stylized abstraction in terms of uh, this lineage that gets into common language? So when I say cartoony, just <laughs> well, I think I think people when they hear that they they know what a cartoon is. They kind of understand right. that. So I think it, you know, um, if you would were to call them uh, uh, stylized abstractions, right. you know, people right. might not know exactly what you mean. So I right. think I think people understand that but let's backtrack a little bit you talked about the exquisite exquisite corpse um there might be people out there listening that don't know what that is so okay can you explain that a little bit before you continue so, so there's this um i think it's the dada 
the Dadaists who came up with this game. I might be wrong. I'm just it's a, a surrealist, surrealist, Dada's, surrealist Dada's game. And you have a piece of paper. And you might fold it three times. And the idea was that the first person draws a head and then folds it over and hides it. But there's like little connecting lines that come off the head, and that might be the neck, right? And the next person would then add the body for the middle section of that three folded paper, you know, kind of like an envelope. And then they would hide um, their piece as well, so that you have the head hidden and the body hidden. And then make connector lines that go over into the third section, and the third section might be the legs or the bottom of the torso. Um, and so you build this like Frankenstein like figure. Um, figure drawing and you know you can doesn't have to be the head doesn't have to necessarily be a head it can be like the top of a tree or it can be the body of an animal or the body of a car or you know however you want to interpret and play with it 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 gives for a lot of like play and freedom um, and also the act of the surprise happens a lot in it so um, I was really all about this idea of the exquisite corpse and how do I get that act of surprise to happen within my own prints um, so I, um, I developed a set of imagery for, um, for a bunch of heads. So I, I, five sets of eyes, five sets of ears, five sets of eyebrows, five sets of mouths, um, and five noses. Um, and I tried to make, mix and match them up over the cross of 200 different prints. Um, so that I got this like large variety of um, of, uh, of heads. So like for you know every set of ears, I tried to make a different like mix and match every single component, all the noses, all the eyebrows, all the mouths, you know, so that all of those things got to match up with that set of ears, for example. Um, and that way, I had like eight prints of that of that set of ears with the same all the same facial features right so i get like groups and groups of them but i was just like running these things off like um like uh the old copy machines that what is it a it's not a repetograph it's a, a mimeograph a mimeograph thank you so like the old mimeographs just try to like pump these prints out and i was i was able to do about 60 prints an hour um but i was trying to like come up with you know how I don't know, it might have been 30 prints an hour that I could do. But I got I got finished with about 250 of them in this whole series. They're in our current show, the Tetra Draw and Play Here show at the University of, excuse me, Notre Dame University at uh, Maryland. Um, and um, David Mother and myself are hosting the Tetra Draw and Play Here session 10 show there. And so those prints are all up in the show. Um, but the idea was to basically try to reconstruct and play exquisite corpse with myself by myself. Um, and could I surprise myself with this? And I realized that some of the problem was that there weren't other people playing, that I was making all the decisions, um, which, which became a problem and an issue for my, for this, this body of work. Um, I think that with my paintings, I have that happen a lot more. Um, my painting and drawing, like that idea of this surprise is kind of what's motivating me and pushing me right now. But I do a lot of, um, you know, those stylized abstractions like we were talking about before, but I'm doing them on panels that I um, gesso myself. Um, I did about 50 in the past 
um, six weeks and I'm just trying to see how many variations of these can I do and um, what changes as I start to work on them. What do I see to desire to happen inside the space? Um, and I, I usually gesso and then while the gesso is still drying, I work watercolor into it and I disturb the gesso while it's still wet. So I create some texture and then that. So I'm creating problems for myself with the watercolor and the gesso that as that dries, it creates um, some kind of image that's there that I then build into these cartoon car cartoon abstract faces. Um, but it becomes like a way for me to respond to what's happening inside the space and kind of think through it and work through it. Um, but I'm kind of like playing and setting up problems for myself that I have to solve. And then, um, you know, helping myself to work through these challenges and make stronger and stronger images so that the imagery that I've constructed as the solution comes to a more refined and refined um sense with every iteration of it um, so that's that's kind of what i'm working through right now i made it 30 of these um painting drawings painting drawing problems for myself last summer and i'm trying to work up to about um, maybe 150 to 200 of them um, i'm about you know 80 in right now i'm um, the 50 that are hanging at the show some of them are, i think are more resolved than others but it's a, it's a process piece. Some of the ones that I did last summer are in the show as well, um, but there are, are uh, 50 fresh paintings up. Um, and so I'm, I'm really interested in that. Um, along with that, I have a realistic um, group of work that I do these stencil portraits of my family members. Um, and I've taken t-shirts from my entire family and I grind up the t-shirts and I mix that with Abaca paper so that the uh, mixed t-shirts from both my mother's side and my father's side of the family and my stepsisters and stepbrothers and their kids and um, their husbands and wives. So all of that information I feel like is what influences and makes a big part of who I am. So that being the substrate that I do these stencil prints on top of. Um, and these stencil prints are um, taken from photographs and I put the photo, the image of the photograph onto a piece of paper. I trace it out. I build a, um, a spray paint stencil, which I thought of <laughs> after I saw Eric's um, stencil, which I then gummied up with lots of watercolor. That's all right. <laughs> paint a couple of years ago at the National Art Education Association conference. Um, so um, that's kind of the, the body, the three bodies of work that I'm currently working through and um, and give me lots of different a avenues for kind of where I'm pushing my work and where I'm going with my own research. So kind of uh, if I can kind of recap. Um, so the the stencil portraits, that sounds very much like the, the idea behind that is family. Yeah. Would you say that would be a good sort of uh, big idea? Um, it sounds like from the the um, the uh, exquisite corpse type prints that you did of the faces sounds like a lot of this notion of play yep and yep. then um, the the fa the other faces though what would you maybe say I mean you're talking about like giving yourself some artistic problems to solve but is there I don't know I just keep kind of like wondering is like why what is it about these sort of 
cartoony faces as you described them that attracts you that you want to explore that you mean you said you've done like 80 of them now and you plan on doing like 150 or so what yeah what is it about these faces it's it's been a um a thing that i've done for a very long time um it's a it's a part of my practice they, they keep coming forward um you know, I know there are lots of artists who make lots and different versions of the, the same type of imagery. But for me, this is something that I keep wanting to flesh out. Um, and it has something to do with, you know, the idea of um, constructing the three-dimensional cartoony head. Um, and that, that problem with it. it doesn't look real, but if it was real, what it would look like. Um, and, you know, people have solved this problem, like the idea of uh, Jim Carrey's movie The Mask. Um, and how that like mass became all these two-dimensional forms um, but for me it's like if I build this from scratch um, what are the pieces and parts that make up a cartoony head what would fit into this space how do I develop this in three dimensions how could it exist in reality how can I make it look illusionistic like it actually sits in space and it, it doesn't just sit there for me but sits there for others um, because it's often like what is our artistic vision and we see the thing formed so fully um, in our own mind's eye that oh I don't have to push this any further it doesn't need anything else and somebody else lays eyes on it and they're like what are you talking about you still need to XYZ um, I, it doesn't do that for me and trying to push myself into this place where every time no matter how I present these faces looking left looking right small big um, you know, like how do you build the space that is them? How do you make it real for others um, and substantial? Um, I think I think that's part of the thing for me is like having this um, working it out to a point where I feel as strong with that as I do with you know being able to shade a you know shade the shade objects like we often do in 100 level classes or low level classes like how do you learn how to like master light how do you learn how to master objects how do you show that illusion how do you show one point two point perspective to be able to have that kind of mastery over this idea and this type of play um i think it is something that uh that i've been seeking for a long time and and working towards um, with this work but it's also um, I think it's it's the idea of like uh, playing with problems and the problem has like continually changed but the imagery isn't is always there and I, I think no matter what the problem is this has been my way to like work through an artistic problem um, and flush it out and, and figure it out whatever the artistic problem is whether it's color whether it's um, you know, foreground, background, middle ground, you know, um, you know, how, how that works, how to, how to set that up. This has been the way that I've been able to like push through these issues and play with them. Um, so maybe artistic problems might be it. Um, I know that with the, like you said, family for the other work, um, with the stencil pro projects, the, the stencil projects, I remember I, I titled that show, um, people I love. So very well, um, connected into the idea of family um, but it, yeah it's uh, I, I would definitely say maybe 
family, play, and then artistic problems. Yeah, I like that. I like when you said that idea of playing with problems. Um, I, I feel as as an artist, I have to kind of come up with a problem, and I, I think that's hard for a lot of beginning artists or young artists is trying to figure out like what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? What what right. am I trying to do with my art? Because I, I think, especially with with a, like a very traditional idea of school that you know it's like if you if you're taking an art class in in school a lot of times the art teacher has given you a project and uh, you know we see a lot you know you can look at Pinterest and other social media where you see these artists are you know people are looking for this project to do right. so um, so kind of switching gears a little bit but kind of thinking about this idea of 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 problems and and you know working with young artists so you've taught pretty much every level you, you've done elementary you've done high school you've done middle school now you're teaching at the the college level um what would you say is maybe one of the challenges that you see from your students like wh what what do they struggle with uh whenever they're kind of approaching these ideas these artistic problems um you know like like the problem with Pinterest, a lot of what I see is you know student independence, um, making them able to see um, see their own problems and work through them, and to be independent. Um, and I've I've talked to a number of educators. Um, I remember recently having this conversation with Betsy Alwyn, a sculptor in the Minneapolis area, and. Um, she's talking to me about her students and about some of the um, some of her mentor mentees and um, that idea that you know you don't need to be assigned the problem for the problem to exist and you know I think about some of my own work intuitively I know there's a problem and I'm trying to resolve that problem but I don't always know the name of the problem yeah um, and uh, I think a lot of times uh, we often make work or getting to the rhythm of like making work or uh, searching for the problem to arise not for we don't start with the problem in mind and say I'm gonna find the answer to this um, and um, although you know it might be more helpful for us to write it out and then start to work on it I think a lot of people a lot of artists like have an intuitive sense of you know, in this last piece, I had this issue. How do I resolve this issue in the next work? Um, and instead of like thinking through the issue, they start making a new piece as a way to resolve the issue in the old piece and think in the, to the new piece. And, and sometimes, you know, that's the way of solving it is that oh, the, no, the last piece doesn't get resolved. It just um, I just discover the problem again this way or I find a new solution to it. Um, and uh, with with students, the idea of like being autonomous or being on their own without guidance and without <clears throat> um, finding independence, I think is often a big issue. And we talked about this a lot. I mean, the reason for a lot of the reason for, you know, building choice-based programs or tab-based programs and our, our desire to see students to want to connect into these is because a lot of what it does is it teaches students how to like dig into their own artwork and their own ideas and um, you know I think that's super attractive as 
for me as an art teacher to for students to engage their own ideas and their own problems and not to be something that I come up with or to delve into like Picasso's problems or Van Gogh's problems and how did they resolve them you know these students might never come into those problems so why don't they resolve their own artistic problems authentically for them at the age that they're at I think that that has a uh, great value and um, I've really enjoyed going through the process of, of tab and choice with you I know you have um, much more formalized your practice of like how you teach that um, and it's been a big help for me even in teaching college I've used some of the the old watercolor PDFs that you put out <laughs> watercolor PDFs that you put out. <laughs> um, hey, don't make the way, don't make fun of the way I say words. I grew up in southwestern PA, so that's that's how I say stuff. <laughs> I, I I know that you can always make fun of me. I, I put it out there, especially for the way I say coffee. Um, <laughs> I'm always I'm always up for it. Feel feel free to push back. Um, you know, I th I think a lot of times I think this is another myth about artists that you know artists think of this work of art they envision it in their heads and then they sit down and they make what's in their heads. And I, I don't know if any artist really does that. I think some artists do that more than others. They kind of get an inkling like, oh, I wanna make an artwork. I think it's gonna look like this. And so they might sit down and do some sketching and some planning, but I think they're usually open for the, the artwork to change and um, I think unfortunately a lot of young artists just kind of feel like oh I have to have it I have to know exactly what it's going to look like before I make it and then I have to make it look just like I'm envisioning it and they don't leave themselves that room for discovery or for for changing it or uh, I, I liked how you talked about like you know you, you started you you start making the work often not even knowing what the problem is and I find myself doing that a lot especially in my visual journal where something keeps popping up i'm doodling a certain image or uh, a certain word keeps coming up and i have to sit there and i have to keep making things related to it to figure out why why am i making this what is about this image or this word that's that's attracting me that that uh, is making me want to explore it and i think think with some young artists that's very difficult because you know they want the project they want to know this is what it's going to look like when I'm done yeah yeah I, I think a, a lot of um yeah I I'm not that I think that art is some like mystical magical thing you know I think there is some magic in art you know there is a magic to what art can provide but it's just because it's a different set of knowledge. You know, that idea that, you know, I'm not a Freudian thinker that there is like a conscious and there's a subconscious and the two are separate and one thinks at night while you're sleeping and one is away. One is awake when, you know, you're awake during the day. So there's consciousness and I think the two are much more mixed. So when I say like intuition, I'm thinking like, you know, my there's a, there's a part of my mind that I'm not accessing and that is thinking for me and it's helping me make some of this stuff, but I might not be aware of my own intentions. So um, just like I, I'm a big believer that my body is kind of like telling me and thinking things, much like a lot of research talks about like 
our gut having more nerves today than our brain so maybe we think a lot with our gut you know the idea that that has been around and been a saying for so long speaks to the idea that our body has uh has a part in like how we think and move through ideas and so i'm i'm a big believer and not that idea of like mind and body being separate you know descartes separated the two long ago and the two should be brought together um so there's this these this idea that like my body my mind the thing that i call myself all of that is kind of like speaking to me and i might not be tuned into something and that is kind of the thing that's talking to me and telling me hey to work through this or maybe i'm feeling a certain kind of way and i make a doodle you know in my sketchbook the notebook i keep you know this the the visual journal i keep in my back pocket that i often glue into my larger visual journal or my larger visual journal you know, maybe it's a note or a way of taking notes a way of drawing around my notes and it's like speaking to me in some way about like patterns or um, a certain type of shape or a certain type of face or whatever it may be but it's driving me and pushing me to this you know it's a subtle whisper and it's my job to listen to that whisper and kind of follow it um, and I, I really think that, you know, a lot of a lot of this is like just sitting there wait, waiting to be tapped into. Um, and a lot of our job as art teachers is just to get people to listen to themselves and to like think through these ideas and to question what they've been told and what they what they're um, what they've already decided what that art is without really engaging in it. Um, you know, there's so many misconceptions about it, like me saying, you know, it's not magic. And I say that because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm born with the gift or I'm not. Like I had a conversation <laughs> with my friend Lee, who's upstairs. And I, I remember having a conversation with him about like, you know, you have a gift or you don't have a gift. And like, well, maybe it's just something that is like practiced and brought out and blossomed. You know, like you put a seed into the ground and that seed will you know, take root and grow. I think if anybody gives himself the time to work with a musical instrument, to do drama, to make art, you know, visual or how, whatever it is, they're going to get a benefit from that. And I think you, if you practice the skill like you do anything else, you learn how to kick a soccer ball, you learn how to play hockey. You might not always be the best hockey player, but you learn how to play hockey. You can skate on skates, you know, um, but that there's some people have greater skill in that and some people don't once they learn that's also has something to do with like practice um and you know how are they developing that skill uh, it uh, just reminds me of a recent podcast of mine that i was talking about that exact same thing that so many people think that it's just it, it's something that it's god-given it's a talent um that there's no way they could do something like that and I brought up the story of Kobe Bryant. I don't know if you know yeah. his story, but that he would set himself a, a goal of shooting, I think it was like 400 baskets every practice. And that he wasn't done practicing until he shot and made 400 baskets. Nice. And it's, it's, it's that thing like, yeah, we think of him as this talented, gifted athlete, but he's talented and gifted because he worked really hard at it 
Right. And but we don't see that, and so it's easy, I think, to kind of keep the myth that 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 we're born with um, that talent or that gift. Um, so anyway, um, I th- I think that kind of wraps it up. Um, my last question is always about, uh, you know, what kind of advice would you give the listeners? Um, you know, just a little bit of. Uh, encouragement or inspiration like you know you're their artistic accomplice during this podcast what would you say to them to help motivate them or inspire them in their creative work whoo um i would i would say that a a big thing for me is like pushing pushing through and persevering even when you feel troubled you know these last uh 50 paintings that i made prior to coming here i remember talking to my partner and she was like so how do you feel about this new work and I was like I don't feel good about it I'm not in a happy place I think I'm in a struggling position in my own practice right now I am not happy with the way that my images are being made but I think the work needs to be made and I need to keep on pushing and I'm gonna develop this work and it's gonna lead me somewhere and I would say, even when you're not happy with the way your work looks, don't abandon it. Don't tear the pages out of your sketchbook. Leave them there. Your successes are as important as your failures, and you're gonna learn more from the failures. You know, I always bring up the example of Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln, um, I think he had like 60 attempts to get into politics. Um, and I think he had three successful um, attempts. One of them was for city council. One of them was for like state senate, and his third was to be president. Um, and so his success rate is like something ridiculously small. But you think about the weight of what Abraham Lincoln did for this country and how much he changed it. He had great ideas. And even if successes only come at a very small rate, keep pushing, keep trying. Your ideas have value, are valid and important. Um, and if the, you, there's a voice inside you that's driving you to keep making, listen to that voice and give yourself the chance. Even if you're not always happy with the product, that, that only says to you that I want to keep refining this. I need to keep working through this problem. I need to try to name this problem. I need to try to uh, wrap myself around this research topic that I'm trying to dig through. And if it's in your making, if it's in your poetry, it's if it's in your dancing, if it's in your um, your acting, if it's in your playwriting, if it's in your writing, whatever it may be, keep pushing and giving yourself the chance. And I would highly recommend finding friends, good friends, like my good friend Eric Scott (laughs) and previous uh, podcast interviewer uh, David Mother. And, um, you know, I keep finding friends, people that can support you, people that can implore you to keep on your practice and stay with you. Find an artistic accomplice to help you along the way. I can't speak to how much that helps. I would never have gotten into my MFA program, taught at the college level. I would never be on this track to get my PhD without my artistic accomplices. 
um, without them cheering me on along the way and helping me through my struggle points. Eric came down and helped me move out of North Carolina. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that helped me unentrench myself from that space. Um, it was uh, one of the, the greatest gifts I think I've ever been given. <laughs> um, Eric knows how hard he worked that weekend, so um, I don't need to speak more about that. <laughs> but I will say that without those artistic accomplices, I don't think I ever could have done it. You do not have to be the lone soldier all by yourself. And I think a big part of this podcast, if I can say so myself, is the idea that getting help is not a bad idea. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Doing it with others is a good idea and a good thing, and you would not be the first artist to do this, you know. Well, I, I think there's that that myth again, another myth. We're, we're, we're dispelling myths in this podcast. Um, that that notion that you know artists are these lone characters that disappear into their studio and and they emerge with this body of work, but I, I think that uh, that that is very much a myth that artists find their tribe they find others that are like them and that's that's why this podcast exists is because i firmly believe that we need to enlist the help of others as we as we go on this journey so um i just want to thank you sam for taking some time out on your trip here uh to sit down with me and and uh talk about your art and talk about artistic accomplices and i appreciate it my pleasure thanks for having me Thanks for listening, guys. So this has been Artistic Accomplices. I'm Eric Scott. Join me in two weeks for our next episode.